listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Tuesday, October 15th, and we thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage. And I'm Andrew Eichen. Tonight we bring you coverage on a graduate student who has quite a musical career ahead of her, as well as a brand new weird science update from Jean. In addition, we've got the third part in a series about fires and much more. But first, here's Andrew with the news. House Democrats have rejected the latest proposed bill to end the government shutdown, making it unlikely to pass, let alone be approved by the Senate and the President. Regardless, the House Rules Committee postponed its hearing, putting in doubt the possibility that it would even be considered tonight. Thursday marks the deadline to raise the nation's borrowing limit. If not met, the U.S. could default for the first ever time. Many financial institutions have already begun to reassess the possibility of default as a probability. As a result, the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 133 points today, and the ratings agency Fitch announced that it had put the U.S. AAA credit rating under review for downgrade. Another credit agency, Standards & Poor's, downgraded the U.S. rating from AAA to AA-plus AA+ in 2011 during a previous fiscal standoff. The results of a default are said to be impossible to predict, but could include anything from a global stock market crash, a global recession, another money market funds collapse such as in 2008, this time without the U.S. government to encourage resumed lending, a run on the banks, a failure of various financial institutions, or a seizing up of lending. It should be noted that although Thursday is the earliest that a default could occur, it's not guaranteed, even if Congress fails to reach a deal by that time. And that's the news. Thanks, Andrew. And now let's turn to Sydney for our international news highlights. Thanks, Nick. All right, Raleigh, it's been a busy week all around the world, and I hope you're ready for it. So there was an earthquake in Peru in which some homes crumbled and a tsunami warning was issued after a 7.0 magnitude earthquake struck just off Peru's southern coast. The impact caused buildings in the Peruvian capital, Lima, to shake, despite the city being 480 kilometers away. No deaths or injuries were immediately reported, and the quake had originally been measured to be a magnitude of 6.8. In India, a stampede by hundreds of Hindu worshippers crossed a bridge over the Sindh River to a temple in central India left at least 109 people dead and more than 100 injured Sunday. A similar incident killed scores of people earlier this year. Among the people killed by the stampede were 17 children and 31 women. Other police sources say that some 20,000 people were on the bridge and up to 400,000 devotees were already inside or around the temple at the time. The deadly stampede is believed to have been caused by a rumor that the bridge was collapsing. India has a long history of deadly stampedes at religious festivals, with at least 36 people trampled to death in February as pilgrims headed home for the Kumbhmela religious festival on the banks of the Ganges River. Some 102 Hindu devotees were killed in a stampede in January 2011 in the state of Kerala, and 224 pilgrims died in September 2008 as thousands of worshippers rushed to reach the 15th century hilltop temple in Jodhpur. An earthquake in Pakistan on Saturday, rated at 6.8 magnitude, was followed up by a separate earthquake today, rating at 7.7 magnitude. Saturday's earthquake destroyed the city of Nokjo after shocks killing hundreds and affecting thousands of others, the province of Balochan. Today's earthquake has resulted in 15 more deaths, and the toll is expected to rise. India's strongest storm in 14 years left a trail of destruction along the country's east coast Sunday, but little loss of life was reported after close to a million people took refuge in shelters. The cyclone was one of three major storms over Asia on Sunday. At least 800,000 people spent the night in shelters. Some built after a storm killed 10,000 people in 1999. Others sought safety in schools or temples, and an exercise disaster management officials called one of India's largest evacuations. In Russia... Russian police rounded up more than 1,600 immigrants in Moscow a day after rioting by nationalists over a fatal stabbing of a Russian man that many re residents blame on the man from a Caucasus region. Some 200 residents rallied 
in the Beryulovo district on Monday to call for tougher policing of labor migrants in a second day of protests over the stabbing death of an ethnic Russian, 25-year-old Yegor Sherbakov. In apparent response, riot police rounded up 1,200 immigrants at a wholesale vegetable market in Beryulovo, which was the scene of attacks on workers on Sunday. Another 450 were detained in northeastern Moscow, also near a vegetable market employing immigrant workers. Footage showed detainees standing against walls or lined up in front of police in camouflage clothing. Police said they were all detained to check whether they were involved in any wrongdoing, but they have not been accused of any specific crime. The riot on Sunday broke out with national chants, nationalist chants of white power and Russia for Russians. About 380 people were arrested after demonstrators smashed windows and set fire to shops. After Nazi war criminal Eric Priebke died Friday at age 100 in Rome, Rome's mayor, police chief, and the Pope's right-hand man have refused to grant Priebke a church funeral. His adopted homeland of Argentina and his hometown in Germany have also refused him. Scientists may have developed a drug still in its early stages that could work against Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and other brain disorders that share a similar mechanism. British researchers have begun testing the drug on lab mice and have received encouraging results, such as memory retention, for up to seven weeks. Many more tests are necessary for anything close to a drug suitable for humans, but the scientists are hopeful. A a bomb planted near a Sunni mosque in the city of Kirkuk in northern Iraq killed 12 worshippers after morning prayers on a major Muslim holiday, according to Iraqi officials. The police colonel said the attack occurred as worshippers were leaving the mosque after contemplating prayer after completing prayers for the start of Eid al-Adha holiday, wounding an additional 24 people. No one immediately claimed responsibility for the attack. Another strong earthquake, magnitude 7.2, struck islands popular with tourists in the Philippines on Tuesday, killing at least 107 people. Some while praying in centuries-old church, officials said. The earthquake was centered 34 miles below the town on Carmen on the island of Bohol, about 250 miles southeast of the capital, Manila, and was felt across the region. The Philippine Seismology Agency reported at least 110 aftershocks. Earthquakes are common in the Philippines, which lies along the Pacific Ring of Fire. A riverboat carried hundreds capsized in Mali and the Niger River, and nearly 200 people remain unaccounted for hours later. Twenty bodies have been recovered by midday. At least 400 passengers were believed to have been on board the vessel, though only 210 have been counted. At least 34 people have died. At least 20 are still missing after a boat carrying migrants capsized in Sicily and Tunisia Friday. Rescue workers have saved 211 people so far, and Maltese forces, the Indian Navy, the Italian Navy, and the Coast Guard are still looking for more survivors. There are around 250 people on board the ship. The sinking comes just after just a week after more than 300 people drowned when a boat carrying Eritrean and Somali migrants sat ne- sank near the southern Italian island of Lampedusa. In a separate incident, 12 people died when another boat sank off the Egyptian coast near Alexandria. All right, back to you, Nick. Thanks, Sydney. And now, with us in the studio, we are joined live with meteorologist Katie Costa. Katie. After almost a week of gloomy weather, we finally managed to see some sunshine today, which was really nice. But how long did the sun actually plan on sticking around for? Well, Nick, I'm glad you asked that, because you're absolutely right. It was pretty dark and dreary out there for quite a while up until today. And this is because of a low-pressure system that was lingering around the coast. But fortunately, the system finally made its way out of the area late last night, clearing things up just enough so that some rays of sunshine could finally peek through and allow temperatures to climb back up into the 70s for the first time in an entire week. Now, the good news is that a high-pressure system will move in overnight tonight and dominate over the triangle tomorrow through Thursday, keeping us dry and warm for the next couple of days. Now, taking a look at your five-day forecast, tonight we'll see partly cloudy skies with a low of 55 degrees. Tomorrow will be warmer than we were today with highs climbing into the upper 70s and partly sunny skies, so a great day to enjoy your lunch break outdoors if you can. Tomorrow evening looks like the warmest night of the week with lows in the upper 50s and mostly cloudy skies, so Wednesday night looks like a great opportunity for a late night stroll. Now Thursday will be the warmest day this week and will probably be the warmest day we will have for a while since temperatures will peak to about 80 degrees, which is above normal for this time of year. So take advantage of this warm weather if you can. 
because things will be changing quickly by late afternoon as a cold front begins to make its way into the triangle from the west. This front will be bringing colder temperatures and a chance of rain Thursday night. So if you are planning on heading out to the state fair's big opening night, be sure to pack some rain gear with you just in case because you most likely will need it. Friday will feel cooler with highs peaking into the lower 70s, but we will be seeing mostly sunny skies, so an overall pleasant way to end this work week. Friday night will also feel cooler with temperatures dropping into the upper 40s and partly cloudy skies. Now, as far as this weekend goes, we may see a ray or two of sunshine, but overall, it's going to be a cold and cloudy one. It is probably a good idea to head out to the movies this weekend or just simply stay inside and catch up on some much-needed rest because highs are only going to get up into the 60s and lows are going to be in the upper 40s. So overall, it looks like Friday night is the best night to head out to the state fair since it will stay fairly dry out there. But if you are super eager and inclined to head out to the state fair opening night this Thursday, just remember to come prepared with a raincoat or a poncho so nothing can rain on your parade. I'm meteorologist Katie Costa. Thanks for tuning in to WKNC's weather here on Eye on the Triangle. All right, back to you, Andrew. Thanks, Katie. Now here's Ross with your Wolfpack Sports Update. Into ACC foe Syracuse 24-10. This loss was a result of the Wolfpack missing eight opening day starters due to injury. However, there were some silver linings in the loss. Freshman cornerback Jack Tusho had two interceptions in his first career start, and tight end David Greenwich caught his first career touchdown pass. This loss drops their record to 3-3. Three and three. The NC State football team will have two weeks now to get healthy before traveling to powerhouse Florida State. The women's soccer team played two games this past week, losing 3-0 at fourth-ranked UNC and then losing 1-0 to Clemson at home. After this week, their record is 6-9. and nine. They will look to shake their current losing streak and shock the nation this Thursday at home against number one ranked Virginia. The men's soccer team fought hard against two in-state opponents this week, earning draws against 10th ranked Wake Forest and Duke. The Wolfpack tied the Demon Deacons 2-2 at home with goals from Philip Carmen and Michael Baja, then tying Blue Devils 1-1 on the road with help from a Duke own goal. Their record now stands at 4-3-4. and The men's soccer team will next be in action this Saturday at home against Notre Dame. The volleyball team also faced Wake Forest and Duke this week, coming out with dominant victories in both games. The Wolfpack started their week with an easy 3-0 victory over Wake Forest at home. The Pack then handed 18th-ranked Duke their first ACC loss of the season behind a match-high 18 kills and a 484 attacking percentage from junior Darian Hopper. The volleyball team's current five game win streak has brought their record to a solid 14 and 4. They will be hitting the road this Friday to face ACC opponent Virginia Tech. The Wolfpack baseball team competed in an off season scrimmage against Czech Republic national team this past Sunday. State came out with a 4 1 win, with the Wolfpack pitchers recording 14 strikeouts on the day. Thanks, Ross. Supporting our nation's wounded warriors is extremely important, but sometimes we're not sure exactly what to do. This week in Raleigh, a special conference is taking place to do just that. Here's Michaela with more. Hey guys, I got this great opportunity to interview Kat Robichaud, a N- The Wounded Warrior Project is a nonprofit veteran service organization that offers many different services and programs for wounded veterans to help them recover, recuperate, and readjust to life back at home. North Carolina is home to one of the largest wounded warrior and veteran populations in the nation, which is why the fourth annual Wounded Warrior Hiring Support Conference is being held at the Hilton of North Raleigh. The Wounded Warrior Hiring and Support Conference is exactly what it sounds like, hiring wounded warriors who are qualified, committed, and ready to work. The purpose of this program is to help link private and public sector leaders and HR professionals with valuable personnel resources. This conference is a two-day event for both veterans and their spouses. The first day is strictly employer-focused, and the second day is focused on career assessment and goal setting. Juan Garcia, 
Assistant Secretary to the Navy for Manpower and Reserve Affairs, released a statement about the Wounded Warrior Hiring and Support Conference. He said, Our goal is to increase the number of wounded warriors hired into the Department of Navy, the Federal Civil Service, and the private sector. The Navy specifically has hired about 2,000 wounded warriors, so for about every 10 hires, there's one wounded warrior. Pride the Triangle, I'm Michaela O'Connor. Up next, one of our former students is a contestant on the reality TV show The Voice. We'll take a quick break, but stick with us for the show. The Voice is a popular television show showcasing untapped uh, untapped talent on national television. Sydney had the chance to speak with a Wolfpack graduate who is on the show this season. Hey guys, I got this great opportunity to interview Kat Robishaw, a NC State graduate who is now a participant on The Voice. So please join me now for part one of our interview. All right, Kat, tell me how you're doing. I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, thanks. So what have you been up to lately? Um, I've just been writing a lot and uh, dealing with, um, you know, everybody in the world finding out about me from the blinds. It's been really cool. I'm getting a lot of love from Brazil. Oh, nice. Yeah. International. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's like It's like a ton of people know who I am online, and I still haven't been recognized when I've been walking around in Raleigh. So Really? <laughs> so what's that like? Is it just kind of, would you say it's almost as if you don't quite realize it's happening all the time, or is it just kind of unrealistic? Um, It's happening all the time, uh, just because uh, I'm very new to Twitter, and so um, I didn't even realize the first night, like how many people were, were talking to me and it took me a long time to get back to them. And it wasn't until the next day when one of uh, the journalists who was interviewing me said, what do you think of Terry McDermott giving you a shout out on Twitter? I was like, I don't, I didn't even see it. I don't know. So, um, you know, just getting, just getting uh, acclimated to social media besides Facebook, which I'm, you know, I'm very much used to, but like Twitter, I just, it's always just whoo gone right over my head. So I'm getting used to that, yeah. Yeah. It's good. There's definitely a, a lot of different social media to keep up with nowadays. Um, yeah. So can people find you on Twitter, talk to you on there? Yeah. Yeah, they have been, definitely, certainly. And if people are like, follow me, follow me, follow me, and I'm like, follow, 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 follow. Like, I don't, <laughs> sure, why not? Of course. Um, yeah, so, and then they direct message me, like, hey, hey, how's it going? What are you doing today? Hey, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I'm just sitting in my bathrobe with my cat. Living the life. Uh, no, you know, it's been really cool just getting used to all that. But it's been, it's really fun. Like, it's really, really cool. And, yeah, um, my Twitter username is Show, and it's spelled out phonetically. So K-A-T-R-O-W-B-E-E-S-H-O-W. You can find me on there, and I will, I will follow you if you ask me to. I will. All right. So you went to NC State, right? I did. What was your entrance year? Um, oh, God. What? <laughs> 2002, um, I was a graphic design major at the College of Design. So neat. Um, so what was your time at NC State like? Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> uh, I, really loved, um, I really loved my major. Uh, and my professors were great. I, was, I felt really lucky to be uh, accepted into the College of Design. It's a great program. And I, <clears throat> I loved the projects and the classes, and uh, I made some very, very good friends that I am still very, very close to, and uh, it was great. Um, and then my senior year of college, uh, I joined a band called Sugar, and later we changed our name to The Design, and uh, we put out two albums, and I was in that band for over seven years, and we toured, and that was basically my profession. I didn't do any graphic design work for a long time because we were so busy with uh, with touring, but... um. But yeah, so uh, the band broke up, and uh, right around that time, I had the opportunity to uh, audition for The Voice, and I grabbed it, and it was just really cool. I was very, very fortunate. 
Yeah, talk about an opportunity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so have you been employing uh, your major at all outside of school now, or is it mostly just kind of focusing on singing? Well, I did I did for a little while. There was, there was a gap between the band breaking up and me uh, getting onto The Voice, um, where I did a lot of freelance graphic design. Uh, and it was great. It was really, really great to get back into it. Um, it was really fun building my portfolio. Um, and then I did, while I was in the band... Um, I did all of the graphic design work. I did all of our flyers and I did our, all of our album, um, artwork and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of kept busy that way, but no, I mean, you know, while I was in the band, we were so busy, um, learning, learning songs as far as, uh, we made a living uh, as a cover band, but also writing music because, uh, we were also, um, an original band that put out two albums. Um, it's, you know, and then I did all like the, the, the social media stuff for the band. And so it keeps you busy. So can people still find your old band music if they look for it? Oh, hell yeah. Um, we're on iTunes. Um, if you, if you go on iTunes and you type in the design, um, Young America and Laziest Perfectionist were our two albums that we put out. I have links, um, on my Facebook page. Um, and my Facebook page is Facebook slash Cat Roby Show spelled in the same way as the Twitter K-A-T- R-O-W-B-E-E-S-H-O-W. Um, and I'm really good at, like, talking to people um, as well and, like, answering questions and, and saying hi and sharing. So, um, but, yeah, you can find us on iTunes. We're on CD Baby, Amazon. Uh, well, CD Baby distributes us, so we're, we're everywhere. We're easy to find, yeah. Well, that's awesome. So regarding the blind auditions, was there anything you went back to look at to see uh, if you could improve, if there was anything you wanted to improve? Um, you know, it's funny because you're your own worst critic. And I walked out of that performance going, God, I nailed it. It was awesome. Huh? And then, and then you go back and you watch it and you're like, Oh, that note was a little off. Oh God. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, um, and, and the truth of the matter is, um, I've been doing those kicks for years, years. It was awesome. Thank you. Oh my God. Thanks. But I mean, you know, um, there have been instances where we've played shows where I've been wearing high heels. I've done a kick. The shoes flown across the room. <laughs> you know, I mean, dramatic so, effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so I was very used to it. Um, and uh, Michelle McNulty at McNulty Casting had asked me, "Do the kick, do the kick, do the kick." And I was like, you know, I will if they turn, but they can't see me kick. You know. Yeah. And I want to make sure my vocals are spot on. But once they turned, I just had fun and I just, I think, you know, I like, I let go just a little bit and you can, you can hear it. I think in my voice, I know I'm beating myself up and I'm, sp and I'm not supposed to do that. But, um, but yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the amount you learn between the blinds and the battles is just insane. It's like a crash course in singing. You've got a ton of vocal lessons. You have your practices with your coach. And then you, you know, you practice in the hotel room with your duet uh, partner. And the point of the battle rounds is not to be better than the other person and like beat them down, but to work together to create a really beautiful and memorable performance that's going to help you both out. And the, the goal is one person wins and one person gets stolen. That's what you want because we're all friends on the show. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Like nobody wants anybody to go home. And um, certainly in my case, I, I got to work with one of the nicest, most professional people, um, Renard. Uh, he goes by R. Anthony, just such an amazing person. Uh, and I learned a lot from him. And we just had a really great time because it wasn't it wasn't easy. The battle rounds were a struggle. They were really, really hard, especially for me. Can you shed a bit of light on what was so difficult about him? Well, I don't want to give any details because that would be kind of, you know, giving the giving away what happens in the show. Of course, we don't want to spoil anything. <clears throat> no, here. let's not spoil anything. Uh, the show is like Christmas and you don't want to, you know, see your presents early, but That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um technique, just like working on technique and just, you know, constantly trying to improve and and feeling like I wasn't getting anywhere, that I wasn't grasping what was, you know, what was going on and they're very nice. They fly up they fly out your uh, two of your family members um, and put them up in the hotel and everything. And my husband and my mom were there. And um, I just remember, you know, sitting in the hotel room at one point, um, just breaking down and, and telling my husband, I'm like, ah, this is just, this is just not going to work. I don't, I'm, this is not, this is not working. 
um, I don't know. I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, to, you know, and um, and he, you know, he was just very comforting and saying, you know, you've got this. Don't worry. It's going to be OK. But, you know, I think about um, the people, the contestants that are that are on the show and that have been on the show in the seasons past where they are 15 years old, 16, 17, even even 20, 21 years old. And they literally have the entire their entire musical career ahead of them. And this is how they're getting started in it. And this is the professional, amazing advice they're being given. And to me, it's just daunting um, about how lucky they are and how no matter how far they make it into the competition, they've already won because they have they're just being given the most amazing start in the industry. Um, And all they have to do from there is just keep working and improving and writing and getting their name out there. And they're they're gold, you know. Um, so they're very, very lucky. And in the same way, I feel very lucky to have just been a part of the show because I've already learned so much, you know, um, and I've taken what just what I learned from the battles and from the blinds, because there's like three weeks uh, that you're in L.A. Uh, rehearsing for the blinds before they even get you out there where you're just learning and learning and learning, constantly learning um, and being given vocal lessons from some of the best people in the industry. And all of this for free. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, um, I feel very, very fortunate. Um, I just couldn't ask for more. It's just an amazing experience. And I just, you know, I would encourage anybody to go and audition. And, and the thing is, uh, this is not, this is not, not to put down another show, but this is not like Idol. They are not going to get you out on that stage unless they think that you have something inside of you that needs to be heard. That's so inspiring. Yeah, they're amazing. All right. Just because I don't know how much time you have left, I don't want to keep you here for too long. Well, I did bring my guitar, and I would say, well, I don't have to play, but I did haul that thing across campus, so I'd like to play it. That'd be cool. Um, I'll play something off our uh, The Designs Past Album, Young America. It's it's called Reckless Boys, um, and it's about all the boyfriends that I had basically before I met my husband. Um, and, uh, and I'm currently working, I have been working on a music video for it. Um, I am making a music video out of, um, it's a stop motion animation with a light bright. It's pretty incredible. It's just incredibly time consuming. And I think I'm going to have to like the last 30 seconds, it's a three and a half minute song. The last 30 seconds aren't finished. And I think I'm going to just have to do something else at the end and be like, well, screw it. Here it is, you know, something, but yeah, I'll play, I'll play a song. Thank you so much. Here we go. Uh, this is basically for any girl that's ever dated any guy. I like boys with cracks in the windshield of the old Mercedes Benz. I like boys who always take their benefits with friends. And when you call me over to your parents' house, I have to sneak in. I don't know where I'm going and I don't know where you've been Let's go skinny dipping down by the docks while the world is sleeping Take some black and white down by the beach while the storm is rolling in Reckless boys like you are always reckless with my heart But I don't care, we go sailing in the dark Let me tell you, I like boys who serenade me with the fire alarm I like boys who make up for their history with charm And when you sure play, can't see straight, you play your violin I might be mad in the morning, but tonight we live in sin. Let's go skinny dipping down by the docks while the world is sleeping. Take some black and white down by the beach while the storm is rolling in. Reckless boys like you are always reckless with my heart But I don't care, we go sailing Oh, 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 oh. Where did my head go? You take me for everything And you leave me with 
Nothing. For Eye on the Triangle, this is Sydney Bloom. And please join me next week for more of this interview. Let's go skinny dipping down by the docks while the world is sleeping. Take some black and whites down by the beach while the storm is rolling in. Reckless boys like you are always reckless with my heart. But I don't care. We go sailing. I don't care. We go sailing. I don't care. We go sailing in the dark. Dave interviewed a professor right here at the College of Natural Resources about the varying nature of function of fires. Here's the third in a series of their discussions. We saw Yellowstone burn, and that was a huge fire that people across the country really paid attention to. From that point, we've had about 30 years or so of politics and development of policy concerning fire. Some governments are leaning more toward fire suppression still, but are California and the Forest Service still in that sort of suppression mode? No. Actually, if, if you had been to Yosemite before this year, this year, if you go now, it'll all be black by the time you get there. But the Park Service and the Forest Service had started a conscientious program to let fires that aren't, aren't endangering anything burn. And also to have prescribed fires where you put in control lines and you, you look for the weather conditions. So fire is very highly related to the fuels, of course, you know, the fuel loads. And the wind speed is very, you know, the higher the winds, the more oxygen it gets. And then you have moisture content of the fuels and the relative humidity. So you have all this weather information, fuel information, moisture information, and you can know pretty much exactly when you can safely burn. You know, there's a science to it. and There's a whole program for uh, fire weather. So that you, have, you can be a fire meteorologist, and those are the people who actually predict exactly what's going to happen to the fire, be a prescribed fire or a, a wildfire. So wildfires are basically out of control. Prescribed fires are the ones that are in control. And then we have the other one is uh, fires that happen but since they're low intensity, they're allowed to burn, and, and that happens in national parks. So fire is really like a tool, but if you don't know enough about it or you don't know how to handle it, just like any other tool, it can become dangerous. That's right. That's right. So we've had a few fires that made headlines this year, notably in Arizona and California, but in other places as well. Could you walk us through what happened in Arizona this year? Yeah, well, that's, uh, it's the Yarnell Fire is what it was called. Yarnell Hill, and um, I'm sure many of the listeners have heard about it already because it was a, a major disaster. Uh, I believe 19 uh, young people got killed on the, the fire. Now, I, I haven't seen the final report, and so I don't want to you know, speculate too much about what happened. But one of the major things you learn when you're training to be either a firefighter or do prescribed fires is about safety, and you don't allow yourself to be put into situations where it's not safe. And they got put into a situation where they were not safe, obviously. Um, on the other hand, what happens is these young people who are in their 20s and 30s and they're very uh, confident about their abilities and sometimes you get overconfident. And so that trade-off between confidence and safety, it's really hard. We haven't, I don't have a handle on how to control that. And uh, I'm not sure if the incident commanders, they they try to control it, but I'm not, I don't know the technique, and I'm not sure if it's been refined far enough. It's got to be a tough job as incident commander when you have so many people to keep watch over and keep safe. That's right. And to try to maintain a balance when a large fire like that can be very fickle. Right. And, and besides the, the firefighters who are out there in the field trying to do it, on the other hand, you have the public who are very anxious about their homes and property is getting destroyed. And then you have politicians who are listening to the public. And so you have people not being very silent about what we should be doing out on, on the fire line, where the, the incident commander, who's like the general of the, the fire, 
that person has to weigh everything together, but safety should be the major issue. And you know, I'm not going to say much more until I actually read the final report about what happened, but it's just a horrible tragedy. I believe this was the most wildfire deaths in about 80 years. Is that correct? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think in, in 1996 you had the South Mountain Fire, 14 firefighters got killed on that. And then you have long period of just one or two people per year dying on a fire. And then in 49, you had the Man Gulch Fire, which really changed a lot of the uh, safety rules associated with firefighting. And then you go back to 1910 with the big blow-up, and you had you know, over 200 people perishing in, in those fires. But those aren't the worst fires. The worst fire was, in U.S. history, the worst wildfire was in Peshtigo, Wisconsin. And it's 1,800, between 1,800 and 2,000 people perished in that fire, which is swept through the whole community. So it's not out west, it's in the upper Midwest where you typically think it's pretty safe, but it's not there. It can hit anywhere. Tune in next week for more on fires in this continuing series. Tune in next week for the next from Dave. Now let's turn to Gene for our update on Weird Science News. Hey guys, I'm here today to talk about some of my favorite research finds this week, so stay tuned for some Weird Science. Making a girl. Actually making a girl. A recent study shows that fish living in warmer waters have higher contents of mercury. Let's take killifish, for example. Killifish are smaller fish, feeding on worms and mosquitoes, and they aren't generally big eaters. In warm waters, however, everything changes. And it's important to view this in terms of climate change, seeing as rising air temperatures make higher water temperatures. And in warmer waters the metabolism of fish and their appetites go up, which is not a good thing if there are toxins in their food. The observation was part of a study showing how killifish, located at the bottom of the food chain, will probably absorb higher levels of methylmercury in an era of global warming and pass it on to larger predator fish, such as the tuna stocking our grocery stores and pantries. Sometimes, after biting a dinosaur, the mosquito would land on the branch of a tree and get stuck in the sap. After a long time, the tree sap would get hard and become fossilized, just like a dinosaur bone, preserving the mosquito inside. This fossilized tree sap, which we call amber, waited for millions of years with the mosquito inside until Jurassic Park scientists came along. Using sophisticated techniques, they extract the preserved blood from the mosquito and, bingo, dino DNA. 46 million years ago, a mosquito feasted on the blood of Eocene animals, then died and got trapped in sediment, somehow managing to remain completely intact with its stomach full of its last meal. This mosquito was recently discovered in oil shale from northwestern Montana and is the first fossil of a mosquito ever to be found engorged with blood. This is the fifth instance of blood eating to be revealed in the fossil record by any insect, and is the first record of a mosquito. Contrary to the plot of Jurassic Park, DNA recovery from the blood of this mosquito is impossible, as DNA is too fragile and complex to survive fossilization. However, the fact that scientists were able to identify the substance found in the mosquito's stomach as blood due to the presence of iron ions and heme, 
the organic molecule allowing hemoglobin to carry oxygen in the blood, indicates that organic macromolecules are able to survive fossilization. Last but not least is yet another reason why you should exercise more. Research has shown that exercise is good for the brain, in addition to being good for the body and mental health. And it's good for the brain because a molecule called irisin is produced in the brain during exercise. Irisin has neuroprotective effects, as it activates genes involved in learning and memory. Some applications of this finding could be drugs that use irisin to guard against neurodegenerative diseases and improve cognition in the aging population. In conclusion, this week we learned yet another reason why global warming is bad, another reason why people should exercise more, and why Jurassic Park is unrealistic. Stay tuned next week for some more weird science. Next month, there are several elections taking place in Wake County. One in particular contest is the Morrisville City Council. And in the first, and in the first of a series of interviews, Michaela sat down with one of the candidates. Here is their discussion. Morrisville is a central town in the Triangle. That's our tagline. We are the heart of the Triangle. Mm-hmm. We are equidistant from Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, and we are a town of about 20,000. Ten years ago, we were only about 1,000 people, so we've grown tremendously. But with growth comes its challenges. Exactly. You know, Morrisville, Carpenter Road, 54, they're all very, very congested roads. A lot of people coming in and out of Morrisville. Out of our 20,000 population, only 200 live and work in Morrisville. The rest are coming in and out of Morrisville. Okay. So the first thing is, is there funding sources available in a time of tight economic time in North Carolina, of getting money into the Morrisville roads. How would Hotovation promote jobs in Morrisville? We're already doing it. I mean, in Morrisville, one of our companies graduated after five months, mm-hmm. and um, they've already started their business. So they had nothing when they came into a program. They have, now they've completed a business plan. They've got investors that are interested. They've got a business running. They're starting to make money, and they've located in Morrisville. So okay. that's two jobs. But if they grow, they can hire more. So it brings in revenue How do you think the school bond will affect Morrisville schools? It passed with 55% of the vote. Mm -hmm. So I think people are willing to make an investment if it means having more schools, having, you know, better infrastructure. I mean, the last thing we want in Morrisville is overcrowded schools, which is what we have. And our citizens can't go to Morrisville schools. So Morrisville citizens are having to go to Cary or other jurisdictions to go to school because the Cedar Fork Elementary right near their house Mm -hmm. is overcrowded. Would you say that's kind of why the transportation bill got passed, to help with the busing and transportation? Morrisville, I don't know if you've ever been to Morrisville, but the biggest issue that we face is transportation. I mean, the major thoroughfares through our town are state roads. And it bottlenecks the traffic. And we don't have the funding to fix it because they're state roads. So we have to be creative, right? And the only way we could do is bond it. So we passed a bond. $14.3 million project to extend McCrimmon to aviation in Evans. So if you don't invest in your infrastructure and you develop, sooner or later you're going to reach a point where you're like, wait a minute, we didn't invest in the infrastructure. So you've got to manage your growth. We're having a Raleigh Union Station kind of built into the Raleigh area. Would that be affecting Morrisville? I don't know if you know anything about about it. They're, They're looking at getting like a gigantic multimodal transportation center moved to downtown Raleigh which has um, long-distance trains, more buses, and some other things. Do you think that would affect Morrisville? Because, I mean, they are in the triangle, and this, this project is looking to connect more of North Carolina as well as the southeastern region. I think any time this capital city does that, and as long as we have um, – one of the things I've been fighting for is – meeting with a lot of our senior community about having expanded bus service for our seniors to get around. So if we could create another bus stop working with Triangle Transit could create more of a bimodal between our two cities. The whole purpose is creating more of a mobile workforce and taking congestions off the road. So we need to really, as a region, really take a look at transit reform. I'm working to convince the Board of Commissioners the need to have transit on the ballot. The third piece of infrastructure is school infrastructure. You know, and I tell them a lot on the school board. The things that's come up in Morrisville recently is working to see whether we could get more K-12 through secondary schools or even a high school in Morrisville. Ryan, if you're listening, hello. And my daughter, she's listening. Hello, Sonia. 
We have so much innovation in science and technology. I have more PhDs per capita in my backyard of Morrisville than probably any city in, in North Carolina. There's also a national problem with teachers not having enough trained teachers in science and education. So you've hit a great point is that how do we marry the two? Now, part of it's inspire more teachers to go into teaching science and engineering. And perhaps these PhDs, we can retool them to go teach. So that's going to be a challenge moving forward. Do you think your background has come into play and why you chose to run for council? Well, my I grew up in West Virginia my whole life. My family was in West Virginia for 31 years. And one of the things from an early age that my parents taught me was to always uh, work hard to be judged by the content of your character and your own contributions. I've always gone into life with that attitude. I've never felt anyone ever not giving me the chance, you know, to be the best I can be, to excel. It's no different than my parents being from Germany or Italy. But to me, it, it makes it fulfilling. I hope I get reelected to a second term, but to know that that one moment shaped the future. And it's a little weird when you take a step back and know that I was a part of it in a small way. So that's all I can ask for. And I thank God and, and, and the citizens of Morrisville for giving me that opportunity and giving me a chance to, uh, to make my contribution. This has been part one in a series of discussions with Morrisville City Council candidates. Tune in next week for more. For Eye of the Triangle, I'm Michaela O'Connor. Thanks, Michaela, for that interview with Morrisville City Council candidate Steve Rao. Yet another student here at NC State is making strides in front of a national audience in a reality show. Here's Desiree with his story. Justin LeBlanc, a name that is gaining recognition as he competes on Project One Way, is an NC State assistant professor at the College of Design and also helps with the logistics of NC State's art to wear. He's inspiring many to live out their dreams by showing that even though he has a hearing impairment, he will push down any barrier that stands between him and his aspirations. If you have never seen Project One Way, it's a television show that airs on Lifetime that chooses 16 contestants to compete in different challenges each week. They're competing against one another for the opportunity to win a prize valued at $500,000 and a showing at New York Fashion Week in Lincoln Center. LeBlanc, a Raleigh native, received two degrees from NC State, one in architecture and the other in art and design. His architectural background definitely gives him a head up on other contestants. He uses uncommon techniques in architectural lines to create new renditions on classic looks. Around the age of one was when his parents thought that there could be something wrong with his hearing and took him to a couple of doctors for diagnosis. One of the places that his parents took him was Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary in Boston, where it was revealed that he was deaf. At the age of 18, he made the decision to receive a cochlear implant. Although he still sometimes uses sign language to communicate, having the cochlear implant makes it easier for him to communicate with the hearing world. He says that he doesn't view his deafness as a disability or handicap, but as a piece of who he is, and is proud of being deaf. Throughout the competition, an unexpected advantage that he has found is that his hearing loss allows him to tune out the noisy bickering of fellow designers. The Wolfpack will be cheering Justin LeBlanc on as he embarks in the final leg of the show. If you're interested in the outcome of Project Runway, tune in this Thursday, October 17th, for the season finale. Justin LeBlanc will face off against Dom Strader, Brandon McDonald, and Alexandria Von Bromson on Lifetime at 9 p.m. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Desiree Ward. And now, here are the campus happenings for the next week. Here's what's going on at NC State. Wednesday, October 16th at 11 a.m. is the Autumn Show and Tell event at the Design Library. 
Materials from the special collections, such as rare books, architectural drawings, and other media from the art, graphic design, and landscape architecture collections will be on display. Also on Wednesday is the next in the Literary Readings series here at NC State. Creative writing faculty members Joe McCorkle and Wilton Barnhart will be reading from their latest novels in Thompson Hall at 7.30 p.m. Thursday the 17th is the NC State Women's Center annual These Hands Don't Hurt event. All are invited to the Brickyard between 10 and 2 to add their handprint to the banner of those who support a pledge for relationship nonviolence. At 6 p.m. on Thursday, the NCSU Jazz Ensemble will be performing for free in Poland Park. A special note for NC State students, Friday night is your last opportunity to drop a course without it affecting your GPA. Saturday from 9 to 2 is the University Open House, which will showcase the entire campus to future students, from admissions and academic programs to university services and student life. Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m., the Raleigh Civic Chamber Orchestra will be led by College of Design faculty member and former NCSU Music Department Director J. Mark Skiers. The performance is titled Transformations and will be held in Thompson Hall. Next Monday the 21st, students are invited to celebrate National Day of Writing in a number of ways. The Caldwell Lounge will feature a number of events during the day, but the community can also participate using the Twitter hashtags Write, the number 2, Connect, and WolfWrite as well as with the Wolf Wright Facebook page. This weekend at the Campus Cinema and Witherspoon Student Center, the films Kick-Ass 2, Two Guns, and John Tucker Must Die will be showing. Check the Union Activities Board website for times. For more information on these events and more, go to ncsu.edu slash calendar. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or that made you think, you can let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org, where you can also download our podcast. Well, that's all we have for now. Be sure to tune in next week for the next in Sydney's discussion with Kat from The Voice. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Eichen. And I'm Nick Savage. Good night.